Psalms one nine or Psalms nineteen. I'm sorry. Everybody there? Okay. So let's just read it, and then we're going to get, get, move on with our, our lesson today. It says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard." Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a what's the as there? It's remember we were when we went through Hosea, we talked God uses similitudes and he uses key words and he uses words to describe things like and as, right? So which is so what's the context here? The sun is as a bridegroom coming out of the chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. Okay, His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit to the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Okay, So all, of the, all the way up from 1 to 6, we're talking about God's creation. We're talking about the sun and it is a picture of a bridegroom. Now, who do we know the bridegroom is? Jesus it's Jesus Christ. So, the Son is a picture of God's Son. So, everything God does in creation points to one person, Jesus Christ. It's like He has neon signs going, pointing to all these things that He's done. Because He doesn't want anybody to miss who He is, what He's done, and what He will do. He wants everyone to know, and no one has an excuse. Okay, whether you, uh, where, wherever you're born at, wherever, what country you live in, you look at creation, and you have to realize, if you're honest with yourself, that there is a God. There is a God, and for people to run around and say there isn't a God, and they make themselves to be God, they are in deep trouble. Maybe not yet, but they will be. Okay, so everything in verses one through six have to have to are pointing to creation and to God's Son, but we're going to we're going to really focus on seven to the end of the, of the chapter here, and let's read it. it. Says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from thy great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What a fabulous chapter. So, uh, so, this verse starts with the heavens declare the glory of God. And it ends in verse 14 with, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So it starts with creator 
and into a Redeemer. Interesting. So, how, uh, can anybody tell me who wrote this pa- passage or this chapter? David. David. Okay. Did you look at your? Did it say that on your Bible heading? Okay. So we know that. Okay. So David had a heart for God, didn't he? I was reading it, uh, about David this week in my Bible reading, and I'm and there's always questions about David and Goliath and the story and Saul that I I have, and I was kind of reading through those this week, and I'm like, oh, I want to do a series on this at some point, and so. When you're reading it, there's things that I'm like, is this consecutive? Because there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not consecutive. There are, there are chapters that God switches around for a purpose, and there are stories ahead of other stories. And because one thing I always thought was, okay, so, so uh, David is anointed to be the king. Then at some point, he, he kills Goliath. He becomes, oh, but he also becomes the the musician for Saul, then then he becomes like one of Saul's mighty men. And, and, and that whole story, when you read it, and you're about three-fourths through that story, when he kills Goliath, he asks Abner, the, king, the captain of the army, he goes, whose son is this, is this guy? And, and my mind just goes up like, no, wait a minute. He's been your arm bearer. And he's also been your musician. What do you mean you don't know who this guy is? And I was thinking through that, and I've always had that question. I'm going through that this week, and God just gave me the answer. The answer was, until he killed Goliath, David was really just a nobody to Saul. Well, they forgot about him even being one of the... He was a nobody to his dad. Remember when they anoint when Samuel came to see I'm way off my notes. When Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons, Jesse didn't even have, bring bring him. He's out one, keeping the sheep. And I'm like, wow, he was a nobody to his dad. He got he thought, well, he's you know he's he's too young or whatever. He didn't even bring him in with the rest of his sons. And then Saul. He had to have known who he was, but yet he really didn't know who he was because I think to him being the king, he was just a, you know, a, a servant. Yeah. And so there's a lot of questions I have, and yet he's the one that God uses. He's the one that has a heart for God, and he's the one that pens this passage. I think he okay. knew who he was. He just didn't know what he was. Well, that could be true. Yeah. And what, he knew I, who he was. He right. But but until he killed Goliath, and now it's like, well, we want you in the He-Man's club with me now. Right. We saw what you can do. Now you're a somebody to me. But I'm like, that was just Saul. That was just Saul. That's just the attitude he had. First Samuel chapter 12. It's all, this whole thing is prophesied where Saul is going to basically suck up all the wealth and take the best of the men and women, make the men... Part of his army and the women are going to be confectioners, cooks. Babies, yeah, cooks. Anyway, so that whole thing is prophesied. So by the time you get here to sixteen, seventeen, you know Saul's like, "Who's this poor, useless family?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, and here's another one. Okay, so so have you ever thought of this? And again, I'm I'm not even on what I'm doing. Talk on. David is anointed to be king. God tells him. You're going to be the king, right? And then he goes and fights Goliath. 
later on, could he have lost that battle with Goliath? Could Goliath have killed him? No. If Goliath would have killed him, then that would have meant that God, God misled him. Now, I, I, I don't know if that was going through David's mind when he went up there to fight him. He's like, well, God already anointed me to be the next king, so there's no downside on fighting Goliath. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, those, those are things I wonder about when I read the Bible. Do you guys have any questions when you read it? Okay. So he, God knew his heart. He had faith, and you see it. And when you go back and study Saul, Saul is all about him. Once he became king, it's all about Saul. And that's why I think he, he just thought, well, David's just a no. He's just a, one of our little guys. He comes and plays music for me when I, when I have, feel bad. But then he made him an arm bearer. So, I mean, there's a lot of things there that don't make sense. But anyway, that's the man that God uses. So let me go back and look at this. Verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare God's glory. And I've heard some fabulous messages on that. One of the best guys I've heard that preaches on that is Randy Foster. He has taught on verses 1 through 6 and just done an outstanding job. He is fabulous at that. Of course, he also used to be in the astronomy ministry and had that up. So that was key to what he was. But, I mean, not that he doesn't preach other things well. But, I mean, I've heard him preach on the first part. But in verses 7 through 11... It's not talking about God's creation. It's talking about His Word, the Bible. And did you know, there is a phrase, I don't know whether Ron knows it, but there's, I sang it, and I don't remember which church I sang it in, but there's a praise song on those verses that I just love, and I wish we would learn it and sing it here. For the first part, from one to six? No, six, seven through... Oh, really? Yes. That would be good to know. So anyway, well, the first part deals with God's creation shows His glory. And the second part that we're going to look at today shows that God's Word declares His glory. Okay? And so, the first thing I want to look at, there are six characteristics of God in these uh, six parts of what I'm going to call uh, definitions of His Word. Okay? And the first one we find in verse 7, because it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. What is the law of the Lord? I'll give you a hint. It's His Word. Okay? That's the law of the Lord. And it says it's what? It's perfect. Okay, so you hear people get up all the time and they go, especially around here, and they go, this word right here, the King James 611 English is perfect. It's complete. It's what we need to have, okay? So it says the law of the Lord. And the reason they say that is because it says so in His Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, okay? And so what is a law? Now, we have laws in this state, like, you know, don't drive over, you know, what's a highway? What's 75. that? 75 on the highway? Where's the 75? Okay. Not on 69 highway, but that's not in this state. Well, I it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's universal according to Diana. <laughs> okay. So what is a law? A law is Okay, it's a guideline. Well, it's more than that. It's a teaching. It's a doctrine, okay? And so the verse says that the law of the Lord 
And I think, okay, going back to law, something that guides us, leads us, takes care of us. So okay. It's the characteristic of, of of the Bible is that it's perfect. That's the characteristic. But the verse says that the law of the Lord here converts the soul. Okay. Well, First Peter one twenty three. I'm going to have somebody look that up, Rex. Which one? First uh, Peter one twenty three. I think I just like a teacher. I'm looking around to see who's who's not paying attention. I'll call on them. <laughs> Did I do that to you, Rex? I'm sorry. Kind of. Kind of. I don't think I've ever done that. I'm sorry. I'm picking on you, Rex. I'm sorry. What does... Yes. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Okay, so it says that we are saved by the word of God. And it says in our passage here that that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Okay? And then I'll have somebody read, let me see who can, somebody just volunteer to read James one twenty one. Who will do that? Okay. Well. I can do it. I've got I'm, it. I'm back to button. Oh, go ahead. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity Perfulity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So it's the engrafted word of God that is able to save our souls. Again, the law of the Lord converts the soul. It's a teaching doctrine. Not only does it teach us, it converts. It can convert us, and that's the only thing that converts us. It's God's word. We are saved. By God's word. And then back in Psalms, the second thing I'm going to look at is the testimony of the Lord. Same verse. Uh, Psalms 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the second definition of the Bible or the word of God is the testimony of the Lord. So if you hear somebody say, What is the testimony of the Lord? It's His Word. Now, you could also say Jesus Christ. It'd be the same because the Word and Jesus Christ are the same. Okay, You cannot separate them. But the second thing here in this passage that's talking about the Word of God, it, it declares it to be the testimony of the Lord. And it, what's the characteristic of it here? What does it do for you? It makes you wise and it is sure, right? And so I put down the characteristic of this testimony of God's word is that it is sure. Okay? It's perfect. It's sure. So what's a testimony again? The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Perfect. You read ahead of, of, of my notes, didn't you? Uh, you've heard this before, haven't you, Ron? How would you give him your notes? Well, he's che- I can't say he's I'm cheating, but I'm but he's yeah, he's he he's. We've talked on this before, but anyway, uh, a testimony is a witness. Okay, so let me give you an example. In the book of Exodus, there was a pot of manna put inside what? The Ark of the Covenant, and that wording is back in in the passages to be a testimony or a witness for future generations. So 
a test the testimony of the Lord is a witness, okay? It is a witness. So in John chapter 5, and I want you to turn, everybody turn there with me. John chapter 5. Jesus had some witnesses. Okay? And in John chapter 5, there are six witnesses or testimonies of who Jesus is. And so, uh, again, I want to get through my notes, but let me get the... We're going to read the chapter just to get the context to where I want to go. It's a little longer than I'd like, but I want you to get the context. Chapter 5 of John, verse 1 says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now this is just a, a, I, I think this is a weird story. This is just weird but I, I'm sure there's something here that I just have that the Lord hadn't shown me, or I'm just not smart enough to figure out yet, or maybe I haven't studied it out. But this is just an odd story. Let me not say weird, but an odd story. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years, verse five. And which Jesus saw him light. And why thirty and eight years? There's a reason for that too. God wastes no space in His book. There's always a reason for everything in here. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now that's quite a question, isn't it? The impotent man answered him, Sir? He didn't say yes or no. That's kind of interesting. He says, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. He took up his bed and he walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Ooh, everything was going great until it was on the Sabbath, and now we got problems. Okay? And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. I wonder if they also said it wasn't lawful for Jesus to heal him. Yeah. And so, in fact, here's here's a guy gets that gets healed. They're not, and they're they're upset that it's on the Sabbath against their Jewish day. And he answered them, and he said, "He that and and so uh, verse eleven says he answered them, and he that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And then asked they him, What man is it that said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? They're probably wanting to go and find him and congratulate him. No. <laughs> Isn't that wild? A, a, a miracle happens, and, this, and the Pharisees and the li- Jewish leaders want to kill the guy for doing a miracle. Yeah. He stepped on their toes. Well, he yeah, on the he did it on the Sabbath, and you don't do that on the Sabbath. And and he verse thirteen says, and he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. And the man departed, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. So that's where I want to get to. 
And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to, what's it say? Slay him him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Basically, against their tradition. Against their tradition. I don't know if it was really against the law. You'd have to go back and study that out. But uh, verse 17 says, But Jesus answered them. So now we have a conversation going on between these religious leaders and Jesus. Jesus was getting ready to throw gas on the fire. Yeah. And Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. There's the yeah. There's the fire or the the gas. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his Father, making him equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth. These also doth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you... Now who again? Is he talking to? The religious leaders. He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth. They have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. He goes, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So he's still having this conversation with Jesus, I mean with the with the Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders really have a question through the book of John that they keep asking Jesus. What's the question? Who are you? Who are you? Mm-hmm. Who, are you? Who are you? And so here, here's Jesus having the conversation with him, and then it just starts, he starts laying out his case of who he is, okay? So he says in verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the f- will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And so basically he says, I'm my number one witness. But you've got to have more than one witness because the law says you've got to have two. But I'm going to start off using me. I am my own witness. The works that I do, the miracles that I do are my witness of who I say that I am. And he had just healed this man. Okay, So that's one witness. That's a testimony of who he is. So the miracles that Jesus did was a testimony to who he was. Okay, And then we see five more here. We see John the Baptist. 
Let me keep reading. He says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. But there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that that witness that he witnesses of me is true. Ye sent it to John, and he bear witness unto the truth. So the second witness testimony that he throws out there is John the Baptist. He's like, John the Baptist declared who I was. Go see him. He's the second witness. But he goes, I, But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in that light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works that I do, there's the miracles, hath given me to, that the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness, or testimony, of me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father himself. So the fourth witness testimony he has is the Father, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abide in you, for whom he has sent him ye believe not. Search the scriptures. So then the next thing he says, the next testimony, is the, is the scriptures, which go right back to where we are in Psalms. Okay? So, the number five is the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So, when Paul was preaching in the New Testament, he'd go into the synagogue. Have you ever thought about this? What was he preaching? He would take the Old Testament and prove that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't have a New Testament. (laughs) He used the Old Testament. And so... The same thing that Jesus told the Pharisees. Search the scriptures and you'll find that they are a witness to me. Okay? And then he says, um, And you will not come to me that you might have life. Verse 40, 41 says, I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. Oh, so more fire, or more uh, gas on the fire. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Now, that's in verse 43. Who do you think he's talking about there? The it's the Antichrist. Okay. And then 44. Now, isn't that interesting? They get everything wrong, and then the Antichrist shows up, and they think he's the Messiah. Okay. And we've talked about that before. You know, when the Antichrist steps into the place that he should not be. My wife was, and I were talking about this. Not only does he do something that they should, he shouldn't be doing, he's standing in the place that he shouldn't stand. That's another lesson. We'll have to get on that some other time. Well, it says, I think it says he's standing. So my guess is he's standing on the Holy of Holies. Or, I don't know. That's something i got to study out. So I haven't got there. So you, you can go work that out maybe for me, you guys, you Bible scholars. But anyway, where are we at? That's 43. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? And then verse 45 says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is yet there is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. There's more fire on their flame. But basically, he says, Moses is a witness to who I am. So there are six testimonies in the book of John, in chapter 5, that talk about who Jesus is, which is, again, 
who the Word is. Okay? So let's get back to Psalms again. And we'll see if we can get this thing wrapped up here. Psalms, what chapter was that again? 19. 19, okay. Yes, a lot of times. I may be absent-minded and I pass it off as test. Maybe that's it. That may be it too. And so, uh, and, you know, the last thing we did on Hosea, when, on, I started on the wrong page and then when I got back to the right page, and you guys answered all those questions, and that's what I wanted to see. That's why I wanted to hear because I'm like, we just spent eight months or whatever going through Hosea. Did you guys learn something from it? I mean, I learned a lot from it, and I hope you guys learned some stuff from it. Because if I'm just up here blabbering my mouth, I mean, I mean, we'll get somebody else that's a lot better speaker than me. When we're doing studies, we remember things from Hosea that show us what. Good. Every book you start reading and studying, all of a sudden it's your your favorite book because you start seeing it pop out everywhere in other scriptures. Okay, so Moses, he goes, yeah, and he goes, and they loved Moses, and he goes, and if you would have, and you're not even believing Moses, who you guys you know claim that you're you're doing it. He was a testimony, and then Ron in Revelation nineteen ten it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So yes, you're way ahead of me. And then let's go back to Psalms 19. The third thing we see is the statutes of the Lord, verse 8. It says, the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. Well, what are the statutes of the Lord? Again, everything is the Word. It's the Word. So everything in 1 through 6, it talks about the creation. Everything from that to from 7 down talks about His Word, that it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. So... That's why it's so important that we have the Word of God. And uh, so the statutes of the Lord. So what's a statute? Now those things used to bother me, and he's still bothering me. Judgments, statutes, commandments. He got all those things, and yet they've got to be a little bit different or a nuance on them. And so a statute is, is it's a standard. It, it's kind of like a rule. And it says the statutes of the Lord, the Word of God is the statutes of the Lord rejoices the heart. So let's read that. Uh, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Okay, so David was the man of God that had a heart for God, right? Because he loved God's word. God's word will rejoice your heart. Okay, and so um, the statute is. Let me give you a verse. Romans 15, 4 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our, for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, I used to read that, the first half of that verse and use it. Well, the, the Scriptures are there for our learning. We need to learn them. And, and I, I, I mean, I do. I still like that. But at the same time, they're to give us hope. And, and you go, well, how does that apply to our life? Well, it's like when, you know, the, uh, how to say this, when, when the crud hits the fan, <laughs> you know, in your life, and you're having a bad day, maybe a bad week, maybe a bad year, maybe you just had all this stuff dump on you. What's going to help, help you in that situation? You get back in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is going to give you the hope that you need. And when you're going through a trial and a situation in your life, what what is it that's going to give you the hope that you need? It's the Word of God. Mm 
And when I read that verse, when I in that cir- circumstance, it gives me hope. And hope is just nothing but based on a, a, a done deal. Because I know God's Word is pure. I know it's going to take place. I know every prophecy in this book is there. I know, I know God's Word says that... Uh, um, I can't remember the passage right now, uh, that God will never leave me nor forsake me. Where's that at, guys? Is that in Hebrews? It's in the Old Testament too. But God will never leave me nor forsake me. I keep wanting to say Hebrews 9.27, but I don't know if that's the right one. But it gives me hope. The Word of God gives me hope to get through the things that I need to get through. And then it talks about the fear of the Lord, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. Okay, so the characteristic of that is when uh, the Bible will keep you clean. Right? Now, that fear that it talks about there is from a fear of reverence to a full-out fledged terror. That's how we need to think of our God. Now, I know a lot of people go, well, we don't need to think of Him as being a terror. Let me tell you. You thought your father could take you to the woodshed. That's nothing compared to what God will do to us. And that's not nothing what God will do to, to the people that are not His children. Well, you talk about the great and terrible day of the Lord. Right, so... So a Christian still should have a healthy fear of the Lord, even though we are his his son. You know, we need to give him reverence, but we need to really have a fear too that we know if we go and and live our life away from him, he's gonna really judge us and put the hurt on us. Like a child and their dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep back talking to mom. All right, I've reverenced Dad, but I'm kind of afraid of him too because I know what can happen. Okay. All right, so it talks about the Bible being given us a fear of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12:13 says, "Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man." Ecclesiastes 12:13. So you got the wisest man in the world wrote this. Well, he, let's put it this way. I don't know if he's the wisest man. He's the most knowledgeable man in the world because he did go against God. Uh, Solomon. But he said, "Fear." let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Everything. This is sum everything up. Keep God, uh, Fear God and keep His commandments. That was... That's... Uh, that's a good good statement. You know, have you ever had anybody like go anywhere and and uh, maybe you're at a? I remember being at a family reunion and and, and uh, somebody asked my father-in-law, "So, well, okay, you've lived ninety some odd years. What words of advice do you have?" And I'm like, "What would you say if if that, if you were in that spot? Would it, you know? Would you you know? What would you say?" Uh, say so, so you go to a, say you're put on the spot and and somebody goes okay Roger you're you're uh, you're sixty you you've made it to sixty years old I can say that because I know you're at least sixty right 60 years 
Okay, you're 60 years old. See, I know everybody's age in here too, guys. Even the ladies. But, unless, yeah, I'll stop with that. I'm not going any farther. And so, but they ask you, Roger, you've lived 60 years, so what words of wisdom do you have for everybody that's here? What would you say? Have you ever been in that position? So I'm like, I need to be ready because, you know, I'm getting older all the time. And you're like, okay, so, you know. We need to have a good answer. Solomon had a good answer. That was his answer right here. And when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, it's going to keep us from sin. And what's that do? Keeps us clean. It keeps us clean. Keeps our heart clean. It keeps us clean. You know, it's kind of like your mom used to tell you all the time, put on clean what? Underwear, because you know you may be in an accident. <laughs> That's what I heard. I think it was Bill Cosby one time said, he goes, I could, never could figure that out, figure it out, because he goes, if I get in an accident, they're not going to be clean. <laughs> so, back, to, back, back to Psalms 19. The sixth thing here that the Word of God is, is, is called the judgments of the Lord. It says, a judgment is now a judicial requirement. And it says, let's go back and see where that's at. Um, The fear of the Lord is clean, verse 9, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the word of God is true and it's righteous altogether. Genesis 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. His judgments are true and righteous. Not like man's judgments. You know, right now there are people having trials on the people that that went into the Capitol on January the 6th. And they're throwing the book at him. And you know what? There's evidence. They They have film showing... The Capitol Police opening the doors for them. Oh, they do. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that. And that may not be Capitol Police, but they have pictures of that. That's what I've been told. Mm-hmm. And I believe it. So, um, Genesis 18.5. So who can tell me who's speaking that verse in 18.25? Abraham. Abraham. You guys don't get a chance when Ron's in here. He just He's got them all down. Okay, so Abraham is talking, and but you know what? I've used that verse when you know when somebody says something. I said, you know, we'll we'll not, you know, when they ask a question, well, what about these this group or what about that group? And I'm like, will not the God of the universe do what's right when they stand before Him? Yeah, He will. Okay. And then verse 11 says, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So it says not only do you have to have these, not only do you have to have the Bible, you've got to keep it. You've got to keep it in your heart. You've got to, you've got to walk the talk. Okay? Okay, so let me make one statement. I'm going to wrap stuff up today. Okay. In verses 1 through 6, we can walk outside any night, especially if it's not cloudy, and you can look up and you cannot get out of the fact that there is a Creator by just seeing what's there. Or maybe just going outside and seeing the grass pop up, smelling the, the spring air. I mean, there, if, you can, if you can deny that there's a Creator, then you're a liar. Okay, you cannot do that. You can know. Now, get this: if you don't miss, 
anything, I got one statement that's really profound, okay? Here's this, and I don't do that a lot, so hang, hang with me. You can know that there is a God by looking at creation. Everybody believe that? Raise your hand. Everybody but Diane. No, she's got her hand up too. Okay. I uh, had a teacher at Cleveland say the same thing in class. There should be nobody that doesn't know that there is a God by just looking at the creation. Wow. Because, and, you know, I, I mean... There, I said, Rex said that? No. no. <laughs> it was okay. a teacher way before him. But, because I, I asked, how come... Do the people who don't know anything about Christ, who've never heard, do they end up in hell? And that's when he said, everybody knows that there is a creator. Right. John 1, nine says that God lights her heart, right? Doesn't Romans 1 talk about that too? Yeah. So, you can know that there is a God by looking at creation, but here's the statement I want you to catch. But you can't know God unless you have His Word. Right. And that's a profound statement. You have to have His Word to know God. Not that there is a God, but to know God. And that's why it's so important, and that's why I'm, so, I'm glad that our church puts things together. So, I'm running out of time, so I may stop there, but let me, let me say one more thing. Verse 1 of 19, Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So who or what is the glory of God? I'm asking a lot of questions in here, aren't I? You can't stay asleep in this class. What or who is the glory of God? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Our Savior. The heavens declare Jesus Christ. The Word of God declares Jesus Christ so that when man stands before God, there will be no excuse. None. Because he's got every base covered. Why? Because he loves us and he wants every person to come to know him through his Son, Jesus Christ. And he has done everything possible to get us to that point. But yet he gives us a free will. And yet man uses that free will. And so uh, we just got to remember, we've got to get the word out to people by what we say, by what we do, by printing it, by publishing it in the back, sending it overseas. Because people, to really know God, they've got to have His word. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalms 19. We thank you for the truth that we find in, in your word And Lord, I just pray that we would not only believe it, trust in it, and keep it, I pray that we would also give it out, Lord. So I I pray for that for our church, I pray that for our, our class, and I pray this week, Lord, that you'd give us opportunities to invite people to church, you'd give us opportunities to tell people about you. So we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. You talked about the uh, capital thing. The guy from Drexel, Kale Clayton, he's being charged for breaking into the Capitol. Oh, really? Yeah. And he was a Wow. All right. Put your bag up on the Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go close for it. I'm going to 13.5. Okay. I just want... <laughs>
also in Joshua chapter 1, 5, I think, and similar 